Debo Samuel drama in San Francisco and a 2022 NFL draft preview. All that and more on today's episode of Locked On NFL. You are locked on NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into another episode of the Locked On NFL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Monday, so that means you have me, Kevin Allstriker, the daily host of the Locked On Ravens Podcast with you. And thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms, including on YouTube. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And it is draft week, 2022 draft week after months and months of discourse. We're here. And after this upcoming weekend, we will know who each NFL team selects and who each NFL team picked for their 2022 rookie class. And here today, we're going to be talking with Locked On Jaguars and Locked On Giants. The Jaguars obviously owning the first overall selection, the Giants having numbers five and seven. But first, we're going to check in with Locked On 49ers about the Debo Samuel situation as it kind of took the NFL by storm over this past week. And so we'll talk first here with Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers about Debo Samuel and what that has been like for the San Francisco organization over the past week. Joining me here now is one of the hosts of Locked On 49ers, Brian Peacock, to get into the biggest news of last week, which is the Devo Samuel trade request. And Brian, not, not that you needed any more content, but you got a lot more of it with this request. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It's never dull, man. The NFL, there's something in the news cycle every single day. When I first signed on to do a podcast about the 49ers uh, with David Locke, he's like, okay, our thing is daily podcast every day, even in the off season. It's like, man, I would do a daily podcast in the off season. And it's a breeze, man. It, it's a breeze. You got the draft, you got free agency, and then uh, this kind of stuff. And last year, I didn't think it could get any crazier for the 49ers than the trade up to number three, all the arguing about oh, which quarterback it was going to be this time last year. Matt Adam Schefter's looking directly into the camera saying it's going to be Mac Jones. And everyone's like, it can't be Mac Jones at three, right? And it turns out it wasn't. But that's what we were going through last year. And this offseason now with Debo might be even crazier. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And I wanted to first start just by asking you about your reaction to the news because it seemed like some people, it was really just completely out of left field. Like, where did this come from? Was that the situation for you where you saw this report and you're like, I have no idea why this is going on? Or did you sense anything that maybe with the wide receiver contracts that are being paid out and Debo probably want to get paid a big amount of money that it even could have happened? I was completely out of left field. I, I didn't think that this was in Debo's DNA at all. He'd seemed like such a team player. He was all about being a wide back. He loved it. He he had quotes about it. Uh, he called himself the wide back, and he was asking Kyle Shanahan to hand him the ball. He was like, give me the ball. He wanted to close games when the 49ers really needed it. Uh, and he seems like such a team player, and I know that the 49ers love Debo Samuel, and I thought it was pretty mutual, and there was always reports about – uh, Debo and Kyle Shanahan having a really nice relationship as well. So this stuff was all just really out of left field. And I thought maybe the negotiations could get somewhat difficult just because of what do you pay him? And with all these other huge wide receiver contracts, maybe it changed what the 49ers expected to pay him at the start of the offseason. And so would they have to come up even further? And and would that would that gap be bigger than before? 
but I, I don't even know why April is the time that any of this is coming out because the 49ers have proven that they do their business in the, you know, in the summertime. And they signed two years ago, George Kittle to a record setting for his position contract in July. Last year, they signed Fred Warner for a record setting number at his position in July. So, uh, you know, It'd be the same this year, and they would have traded Jimmy Garoppolo by then, and have the cap space. and 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 uh, John Lynch has said that they've been um, budgeting for this, and they've been budgeting for Debo and Nick Bosa all along. And so I, I didn't really think that maybe if it took a little while and was was more difficult to hammer out, I didn't see anything like this getting weird and contentious, and and having someone like Debo ask for a trade. It just none of it really adds up to me right now. So to be honest with you, what I think it is is it's just part of the playbook for Debo's agent trying to strike this week knowing that there's sort of a soft deadline trying to maybe get the 49ers to allow him to go seek a trade which would then essentially make him a free agent even though we all know he's not a free agent and sort of circumvent the cba by getting the 49ers to allow him to seek a trade talk to multiple teams and that's how he can maximize money for from his client i have a feeling debo if he doesn't get traded then in a you know in two months they'll sign him and everyone's gonna be like oh yeah we love each other hugs and go try to win some games Right. And again, just because this report came out and this trade request has been filed doesn't mean that the move is going to happen and that it is set in stone. The Niners don't have to make a move to trade him. But Brian, there have been a lot of different reports that have come out about this situation, why Samuel potentially wants to deal. But there also has been a club video that has come out. And obviously, for those who haven't seen it, there's a, was it a billboard or something that says, you know, Devo staying in San Francisco and Devo kind of just says, no. And it, it's kind of made the rounds recently. Have you seen the club video? And if you have, what do you make of it? Yes, I saw that video and it's hilarious. And Devo's laughing in the video and, you know, some some 49ers fans that were at the club ordered bottle service. And along with the bottle comes all this hoopla and there's a sign. And on the sign, it said Debo is staying hashtag 49ers and they're videoing this. And then the, the camera goes over to Debo Samuel and he's smiling and have a good time. But then he gives the, the no sign, you know, the uh, cut the throat. No, but uh, I actually have more Intel on this. This is from Francis Martinelli on Twitter, who is the club owner. And he was there and he said, this is my club responding to this video, because when you see Debo say no and slash the throat, it's like, oh, no, I'm not staying. I want out. You thought that's what he meant. But uh, Francis goes on to say, this is my club. He wasn't saying no to the Niners sign. He was saying no to the waitresses bringing the bottle over to his table. The same client sent ones out after saying, quote, don't worry, Debo, your money is coming from the Niners. And he was all smiles. I spoke with him all night. He's fine. So that was the report from the club owner to give a little bit more context and what was going on there. But yeah, when you see it, you think he's saying no to the Niners. But uh, I don't I honestly I have no idea what to think about any of this. I don't really think that John Lynch really cares what's going on in social media and probably doesn't care that Debo Samuel's requesting a trade because uh, as GM of the 49ers, he knows what the collective bargaining agreement says and. You know, Debo and his agent can try to wrestle away a little bit of that leverage, but we all know what that is for the 49ers. So I, I think this negotiation will go into the summer and eventually the 49ers will sign Debo Samuel and everyone's going to be cool. The Niners actually just went through this two years ago with Robbie Gold. A lot less money, but Robbie Gold said, I, I want to, uh, I want you to trade me. He requested a trade. He wanted to be closer to home in the Chicago area or something like that. And the 49ers ended up re-signing him and he stayed. So uh, this is actually not... John Lish's first rodeo with a player requesting to be traded. 
Yeah, context is very important. So the club owner clarification is actually very key in this situation because most people, when they see the video, they're thinking, oh, all right, it pans from the sign to Devo and he's saying, I was like, all right, he's saying no again, but the context there is very important. But Brian, we've seen the wide receiver market contractually boom this offseason. But also we saw the trade market boom this offseason with multiple huge packages put together by teams for star stud wide receivers. And so I want to put you in the 49ers shoes. And if you are the 49ers organization, what is the package that you would be willing to take for Debo Samuel? Is there a threshold for you where saying we are not taking anything less than blank for you? Yeah, and so, uh, like I said earlier, I don't think John Lynch should be swayed by anything that's going on or any of the tactics or any requests because he knows the score and he knows where his leverage is. And then, uh, But at the same time, maybe it's enough to listen. Maybe it's enough to listen a little bit stronger than he would have before, but it would have to be an overpay. You would have to, you would have to be blown away if you're John Lynch by a trade offer, and maybe you'd be listening to those offers now when you wouldn't even have listened to them at all before but it would take you know two first rounders plus um i know there's a recent report that the jets might have been willing to trade number 10 overall that wasn't included in the tyreek hill offer uh and to that i would say okay that's cool that's a start but i would also want pick 38 from the 49ers and i'd probably also be asking for you know a day two pick next year i'd be asking for uh two first rounders it would be a lot closer to what Jalen Ramsey or Jamal Adams was traded for than what Tyree Kill and uh, Jamal and uh, Devontae Adams were traded for, even though they both got first rounders too. So it would be a first rounder plus something significant, and it would probably uh, even turn some of those offers down. I know our colleagues Louis DiBiase and Gino Camilleri have locked on Eagles privately when when this. All, all came out. I was like, what do you what do you guys think? I asked everybody in the locked on DMs. What do you guys think? What would your team give up? And uh, I, I think the best offer there was not including a Jets offer and not including every team was pick 15 in the first round plus 51 in the second round. So first and the second round pick. And to that, I'd be like, okay, it's a fine offer if I was trying to trade this player, but the 49ers shouldn't be trying to trade Debo. So it would take even more than that. So it would take a quite a haul. And to be honest with you, the asking price should be so high that most GMs should probably not be willing to pay it. Right. And we all know how talented Debo Samuel is as a player and the, the stuff that he can give you on the football field. And because of that, Brian, I want to put you back in the 49ers shoes and say, what would you pay Debo Samuel contractually, average annual value? Is that a conversation that you've kind of thought about and put a price on for Samuel in terms of what he deserves to make? I'm bad with those things. I'm really bad. Um, I think Debo's, if you just look at his track record, he's had one amazing season and he was the most important player for the 49ers last year. Those would have been some really brutal games to watch if Debo Samuel wasn't a member of the 49ers, but he's only done it one year and his track record isn't even as strong as fellow second round picks, DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. So I would say that what his comps for what he should make is probably even a little bit less than those guys. And maybe that's why his agent who represents both of those guys wants to get Debo's deal done so quickly, wants that done first. So then he can go to Tennessee. He can go to Seattle and say, look, this is what Debo got. Now we get more for my guy here and then go that route. So maybe that's why this is the game plan and things are so weird. And there's this like pretty obvious agitation going on the week leading up to the draft because this is the opportunity for them to try to put a little deadline on the 49ers. But as far as money, I'm always bad at those things. I have no idea. I don't know how far apart they are. Are they if, like if the Niners were offering 22 and a half mil and Debo wanted 25? that couldn't get them to this point where he's trying to ask to be traded. Right. So I don't even think the money's going to be an issue. So unless there's something else out there 
and Debo really hates Kyle Shanahan and does not want to catch passes from Trey Lance, you know, something that's not going to change. I have a feeling that all this is going to, you know, work out and it's, it's going to be fine. And he's going to get some nice money and everyone's going to kiss and make up at some point before the season starts. Right. The reports came out. Everything went crazy. Everybody's making up all these situations and fig- trying to figure out everything. But as this process kind of goes in, we might see just, all right, it was a play. Debo got his money. So Samuel, talented player, deserves the money. We'll see how the situation plays out over the course of the coming weeks, coming months, however long it takes to get that deal done with whatever team it is. But it seems like it will probably be the 49ers at the end of the day, but you never really know. But Brian, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for coming on. And with the draft coming up, you have the draft picks, but you also have this Debo Samuel drama, and I hope everything goes smoothly with it as the situation continues to play out. A big thanks to Brian for diving into the Debo Samuel situation. And obviously, while Samuel did make this request, it does not necessarily mean a move will be made by San Francisco. And who knows, maybe everything will be resolved and San Francisco and Samuel will agree on a long-term extension. It'll be great. But also, we've seen crazier things and maybe a move will be made by San Francisco and Samuel will be playing for a new team but we'll head into our first break here but don't go away when we get back we'll be diving into a 2022 nfl draft preview starting off with locked on jaguar so be sure to stay tuned for that still a ton to talk about but first let me tell you a bit about athletic greens and they have a product that i use literally every day and i started taking ag1 because i am very big on health and i wanted to make sure that my health was in the right place and also I wanted a bit more energy and AG1 gives both of those things to me. And when looking at what's actually in it, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. It's a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, aging, all of those things. And it's also lifestyle friendly. So whether you're eating vegan or dairy-free or gluten-free, it does adapt to that lifestyle and it also contains less than one gram of sugar so there are no gmos no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while actually still tasting really good it also supports better sleep quality which also is very important to me and recovery supports mental clarity and alertness plus the price it costs you less than three dollars a day you're really investing in your health and it's cheaper than the cold brew habit that you have or than getting a different supplement yourself you're investing really in an all-in-one nutritional insurance so right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition it's just one scoop and a cup of water every day that's it no need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health and to make it easy athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs with your first purchase again all you have to do is athleticgreens.com nfl network again that's athleticgreens.com nfl network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance and we're back here with our second segment of our Monday edition of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostrack, your Monday host, still hanging out with you here. We just talked with Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers about the Debo Samuel situation. But it's draft week, and we're going to now talk about some NFL draft notes, starting off with Tony Wiggins of Locked On Jaguars. The Jaguars having the number one overall pick in this year's draft. And we talk about all that and more with him next. Joining me now, it is the host of Locked On Jaguars, the holders of the number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, just Tony Wiggins, of course, of Locked On Jaguars. Tony, we're in draft week right now. It's exciting. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm ready to get it done and over with so I can quit arguing with people on social media. Yeah, and, and it's funny because... This year, it seems like there's no clear consensus. There are a bunch of consensus guys who could go number one. But obviously, last year, Trevor Lawrence, that was the clear-cut number one overall pick. Now, with Jacksonville having this pick for the second straight year, they could go a multitude of different players and multitude of different positions. 
Where's your feeling as to where this team will go at number one, whether it's one or two guys or even three or four who you've narrowed that down to? Uh, the Jags have actually narrowed it down. They had a luncheon the other day. I did not attend, but I did an interview with uh, my buddy Demetrius Harvey, who works here for Big Cat Country. And uh, he, I was actually following along, you know, but I, you know, with my other business, I, I, I wasn't able to go attend it. But it, it, they've narrowed it to four people. They didn't say who, but I, we pretty much know who it is. It's either they're going to draft either an edge rusher or an offensive lineman. And uh, so it's Aiden Hutchinson, uh, Trevon Walker, Ike McQuanu, or Evan Neal. That, that, I think that's what people around, you know, that we really think. Now, if there's one thing I can tell you with that little group, if you take anybody out, I think it would be Evan Neal, and maybe you put the next edge rusher in, which is Jermaine Johnson, but I don't think they're going to take him number one. I think he's just an option in case they may move down a little bit. So more than likely is Evan Neal is the fourth guy, but uh, a wild card could be James Johnson, but it's coming from one of those two positions. And do you have a preference as to where you'd like to see Jacksonville invest? Would it be more protection for Trevor Lawrence? Would it be that edge rusher player to pair with a couple other talented guys they have at that position? I, I, I've thought offensive line all along. And the reason why is because I think these offensive linemen stand tall in any draft as top five, top six picks. I'm not so sure you can say that about the edge rushers. My favorite player in the draft is actually Kayvon Thibodeau, but they're not going to take him for whatever reason. And um, he hasn't been mentioned in that group. Uh, I don't even think they've shown any interest in him whatsoever. They did go to his workout, but uh, if he's included in that, in that group, it's the greatest job of keeping something uh, from being known that I've ever seen because even people from his side don't think that Jacksonville has any interest in him. But uh, for me, I just want him to get it right. I want him to get it right for the fans. And I think I've, always, I've often said that if it wasn't Thibodeau, that I would probably go Evan Neal. And the reason why is because I just, if there's one guy you can't go wrong with, it's him. I just that's the way I feel at six seven three forty, with the training and and the fact that he started as a true freshman at Alabama, and uh, he's moved around. So he's probably not what you would, what most people would consider um, a Joe Thomas franchise type tackle, but he's about as solid as you could get. You know, without worrying about anything length athleticism whatsoever. And when you do stuff like that, I kind of like to look at things. I like to compound things. When you look at Trevor Lawrence, you get Trevor Lawrence and you think that he's going to be here for 12 years, 12 to 15 years. Get him a, get him a guy that's going to be here for 12 to 15 years with him. And, you know, you can go back in history and see guys that were connected that way, side by side. Uh, who better than a left tackle? And But, but uh, you know, it's neither here nor there because they're trying to work out a long-term extension with Cam Robinson who's franchise tag for the second year in a row. So they like their offensive alignment a lot better than I do. And I'm on record of saying that, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, but I just don't think you can go wrong by picking a guy like Evan Neal. No, Neal is consistent. He's a player that I think is worthy of that number one overall pick. But Tony, you mentioned the potential of maybe Jacksonville trading down from that number one overall pick. How realistic would that be for you? And what would the package you would want back be for that number one selection? Well, it's realistic because they've repeatedly used the term, we're open for business. Uh, we're hearing rumors, though, that uh, people act like they don't have their phone number. So, uh, you know, you can be open for business. And, and a lot of fans have done a lot of mocks where they've done a lot of trading. And you have to be willing to have a trade partner. I think in a normal year, when you move off of the number one pick, regardless of whether a draft is considered strong or weak, 
the fact that you have first dibs and first choice of all of the players in college. It does not matter, you know, if, if we're like, I, I made this example the other day. If, if everyone assumes that the number one pick is a Rolls Royce, you know what I'm saying? Well, if we're not at a Rolls Royce dealership, it's not. If we're at a dealership of where they make nothing but uh, minivans, then the number one pick is the best minivan on, 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 on the market. It's, you ain't thinking about a Rolls Royce. So if unless you just don't want to pick, you want to give your picks away to somebody, you have to pick from what's here. I got some pet peeves. Oh, Striker, you called me, so I'm going to get it off my chest. When people tell me, when I hear folks say, there's only 15 people in the draft with a first-round grade. That's when I know folks have gone bonkers. You know why? Because uh, there's 32 picks in the first round, right? 32 yeah. pe people are going to get picked. <laughs> I, ain't worried, I ain't worried about a grade. What is a first-round grade? My thing is this. Uh, if you got one of the 32 picks, you take the first 32 people, and those are the guys with first-round grades because, well, <laughs> they're the first 32 people. And so it, it, we get caught up sometimes in, in the – process of drafting instead of just worrying about the fact that are we going to get a real good football player that's going to help this team win a championship in some shape or form so it's a lot of little weird draftism like draftisms like that that kind of drive me up the wall uh because it's not like a team is going to just take and go give their picks away oh we don't like these they act like they're picking oranges you know we'll go to another grocery store we don't like no you're going to get one because you have to that's what this is so pick the best guy out of the bunch Right. And eventually you're going to have to take that player. Like if you don't like the first round, you trade out of it. But then it's like, oh, we don't like anybody in the second round. Trade out of it. You have to pick eventually. You can't just keep trading back and trading back and trading back. Right. So, we, so you asked me with the compensation, I, I think in a normal year you do, to get off that pick, it takes an additional first. Right. Right. I think this year when people want to keep talking about you doing yourself a disservice by saying, well, it's not all of that. OK, so what are you going to take now? I've, I've had people tell me that they would move back to four or five just for a third round pick. And in my opinion, you can't set that precedence. It's not about looking at the draft as whether the players are good or bad or not or whether or not it's weak or strong or not. For me, it's about the right to have first choice. That's what it is. And if there's no quarterback up there, that does take the price down a little bit. But I ain't getting off that number one for no less than a two this year and a two next year. Because I just think you have to set the precedence, the fact that you have first dibs. Uh, look, the Jaguars won four games in the last two years. They earned the right to be sitting where they are right now, whether you like it or not. So don't just give it away. You, you have enough grief and bruised equity on our hands to go ahead and make that selection. Right. And the, the number one pick, especially you, you mentioned the no quarterback there. People, I don't think, view this number one pick as as valuable, which I don't really see it that way. Like there are still very talented players. And plus, if you're a team at three, four five who wants Evan Neal, let's say it is, and the Jaguars take him number one. Well, you don't have that prospect on your board anymore. So if you want to move up for Evan Neal and Jacksonville is going to take him, you have to make that deal with Jacksonville and give them the right price for that selection, which I think is a, a huge key in this because number one is still number one, all things considered. But Tony, the Jaguars don't just have number one. They have 12 total picks in this draft, a lot of late round selections. And Jacksonville obviously had a very busy free agency signing a lot of different players. What did free agency do for this team's draft needs? And where would you see Jacksonville maybe kind of putting those late round picks investing into in terms of positions? That's a great question. What free agency did was uh, some people think it's a negative. Some people think they overpaid for Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, right? So if that's the case, you taking up two roster spots with the type of money that represents 
like one B, like maybe not your number one starter, but your one B who can play outside, but who's probably better at a slot. So you still don't really have a true X receiver, but you're picking first, even if you were able to move back, are you going to invest more draft capital in an X receiver as a rookie? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it, it, some of the some of their signings might take them out of the best player available at at, at that position, um, with the fact that they signed Darius Williams to a, a contract, and they already have Shaq Griffin, and of course they drafted Tyson Campbell last year at corner. So that's three, right? Can you now use the first pick of the second round on another corner if Kyrie Elam falls to you? You probably can't because from the team building perspective, you probably aren't allowed to do that. If you if you, for some reason, if uh, one of the tackles, not Bernard Raymond, but uh, the other kid from, um, what, what's the big kind? Penning, Trevor Penning. If Trevor Penning somehow starts to get back to, towards the end of the first round and you're sitting there with 33, you don't want to go up and get him because you just, you're franchising Cam Robinson now, remember? So that's probably why you won't do that or address that position. So there are some things that they did in free agency that may take them out of that BPA. But um, what it allowed them to do also in, in some other situations is shore up the depth and try to build this team uh, the way you would a, a basketball team or a baseball team. Just take the best player available, even if you don't need him, for down the line a little bit. I know everybody wants to win in a hurry, especially around here because they've done a lot of losing, but I think you still have to just be solid in the way that you stock up your talent. Because at the end of the day, three years from now, the team with the best players are going to win. They have two in the third, 65 and 70. So I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of finagled a little bit and, and got in that hot spot, that 65 to 100, and used some of those back. I think they got four six-round picks to come up and hit that hot spot. So you don't maybe only get nine guys, but get uh, you know four or five guys anywhere between pick 50 and pick 110 or something like that, and I think it'll go well for the team. Right, and – Sometimes there just aren't enough roster spots for 12 rookies. You know, it depends what happens after the draft and if Jacksonville signs any free agents there, undrafted guys as well. So if they want to take some of that late-round draft capital, invest it into maybe moving up in a mid-round like that third round as you talked about, I, I think that's a super smart idea because sometimes, you know, when you get upwards of 10 draft picks, it's like, all right, how many of these guys can realistically make the roster, right. especially if it is sixth, seventh round selections who maybe would hit undrafted for agency if they weren't drafted by a certain team. So all things to consider. But, Tony, that is all I have for you today. Thanks so much for hopping on. Draft week is here, and we'll soon be all over it, and everything will be sorted out. We'll now know who those Jacksonville Jaguars will have taken at number one. All right. I'll see you Thursday night when we start picking, brother. Again, a big thanks to Tony for talking Jaguars with me. That number one overall pick, obviously, the most important pick in the draft. But Jacksonville has a lot of other draft ammunition they can use to move up or to move down in this upcoming draft. We'll head into our final break here on Locked on NFL. When we get back, we'll be diving in to the Giants with Locked on Giants and talking about the picks that they have. So be sure to stay tuned. Still a ton to talk about. So first, let me tell you a bit about Bilt Bar and Built Bar, you know, it's the time of year now. People give up on the New Year's resolutions, but don't do that this year. Stick to your resolution, eat right, and do it with Built Bar. And it really almost feels like it's not a resolution because, at least for me personally, I actually really enjoy eating them. And if you haven't tried the Built Bar Puffs, you're really missing out on Built Bar's best-tasting bar, in my opinion, but one of them. They have many different options. The Puffs are the first-ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy and marshmallowy, and they're not just a protein bar. They are a treat and covered in 100% real chocolate. Actually, all Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. They're low-calorie 
calorie high protein. They contain 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They also have a ton of great flavors, such as mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and for this month, the new white chocolate cookies and cream. So go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. We're back here. Our final segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostreicher, your host, your Monday host, still here with you. And thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. We have a ton of exciting stuff coming up on the Locked On Podcast Network for Draft Week. And there's going to be, for the first time ever, live coverage of the 2022 NFL Draft from our studios in Dallas with pit-by-pick analysis from our local team experts and draft gurus. Tune into all three days as our draft team guides you through every pick and every trade in real time. It all starts on Thursday, April 28th, 7 p.m. Eastern time, available on the Locked On NFL YouTube and on the Odyssey app. And also be sure to tune into Locked On NFL Draft as well with Ryan Tracy, former NFL cornerback Eric Crackers. They bring the NFL Draft to life every day, every single day. So be sure to tune into that. We're going to now dive into our Final segment with Patricia Traina of Locked on Giants. The Giants have the fifth overall selection and the seventh overall selection. We'll talk with Patricia about what the Giants could do with both of those picks, whether they could keep them, hold on to them, and also talk a bit about Kadarius Tony. We're now joined here by Locked on Giants host Patricia Traina as the Giants have two top 10 selections, number five and number seven overall in the 2022 NFL Draft. Patricia, we're finally here. It's draft week. How you doing? I'm relieved. I can't wait to get this over with because there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of what-if scenarios. You know, I equate this every year to a season-long series where each episode unfolds and you get new twists and turns, and then finally it all comes to a head at the season finale. So we are almost at the season finale. We will get our answers. Right. And it seems like this offseason, it's just been one of the absolute craziest ones we've seen in a while. And right leading up to draft week here, we have not seen any of that drama slow down. We'll talk about some of the rumors relating to the Giants in a couple of minutes. But I first wanted to talk to you, Patricia, about those number five and number seven overall picks. The Giants obviously picking up the Chicago Bears picking that Justin Fields draft they trade last draft in 2021. And now in a draft that really, we don't really know how this draft order is going to fall right now. There are a bunch of options where the Giants could potentially net two very, very good prospects at number five and number seven. If the Giants do keep both selections, where would you like to see them go with both of them? Well, if they don't come out with an offensive tackle, then I, I don't know what else to tell people. I'm, I, I might turn in my card here and say, that's it. I'm going into another profession. They need an offensive tackle. Look, they've got to fix that offensive line once and for all. Dave Gettleman wasn't able to do it in four years. Joe Shane has made some strides with it. It's not a complete process. You know, there's still a lot more work to be done, but they've got to get a bookend to Andrew Thomas at offensive tackle. So that has to be you know, spot number one. Now, spot number two, if they keep it, they can go one of two ways. I do think it's going to be a defensive pick. Um, A lot of people are like, oh, will it be an edge rusher? I could see it being an edge rusher, but I think the more uh, realistic scenario is going to be a cornerback because Don Martindale and Kevin, you're familiar with Don Martindale having covered, you know, the Baltimore Ravens for a number of years. Don Martindale He can create pressure up front, but what he can't do is he can't create the coverage, that tight man-to-man coverage on the back end. And Martindale, in an interview with the Giants website, 
basically spoke about the importance of having cornerbacks that can cover, you know, deep guys that can turn and run with these speedy wide receivers. So that would not surprise me if one of these cornerbacks, you know, either a Sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley Jr., or maybe even a safety, if a safety like Kyle Hamilton drops to the Giants, I could see that being the direction they go in. I'm not so sure they will go edge. Um, you know, I know I've been screaming for an, for a Batman edge rusher for a number of years now, but this is such a deep class that if they don't get it in the first round, I think they can conceivably get it later in the draft if they need to. Right. And that's one of the great things about this class is it is so deep in multiple different positions. But it seems like because of that, there will be teams who will likely be calling the Giants for both of their picks and wondering if there is a trade-up option for them. Now, the Giants obviously made a move back last year with that Justin Fields trade I talked about. Patricia, do you think they should potentially move one of these picks to pick up an extra second, maybe an extra future first? And if you were to have that happen, what would the package you would want be for the Giants? Well, there's two thoughts here. I mean, the benefit of keeping both is now you've got them, the two picks on an extra year, that cost-effective fifth-year option. So that's something that I think would be attractive if you look at how the salary cap for the Giants unfolds as we go down the the uh, the line. Now the the other um, side of the coin is that you know you can pick up more picks, more cost effective picks for this year for for a team that is so cap strapped and still stay within like the top fifty, the top one hundred, which is where the Giants have the the uh, bulk of their picks. Um, as far as a package goes, you know, it's interesting. I think I, I, I think I was the one that asked Joe Shane about that. And, and, you know, would you draft for today or, you know, would you have to have picks for next year? They're worried about this year. You know, I think if they can come up with a package that has a first round pick, an extra first round pick in next year's draft, I don't think they'll say no to it. But I kind of got the impression that they want to get as many at-bats this year because they do have a lot of holes. They want to try and put everything together. You know, everybody's learning the offense and the defense and special team schemes all at once. Have everybody learn it so that come next year they can play faster. And then now you're, you know, you're bringing in new guys, but it's not like, oh, my God, we all have to start over again. So. You know, those are the two schools of thoughts. But I would think that if the Giants are going to give up one of their your their top uh, picks in in the first round, I would think they're going to probably want at least a first round pick next year. But it depends on how far down we're talking. Right, it does because obviously for teams trading up, if you're trading up in the twenties to number seven, you're giving up a hole to get there. But if it's a team at like. 15, 13, then it could be a little less. So the Giants, I think they'll have their options if they want to trade back, but we'll see what they end up doing. But Patricia, in free agency, the Giants added a lot of different names. And I think it has potentially shifted how the Giants could look to the mid to late rounds to fill out some of those needs that you had talked about. So what has free agency done for this team in terms of their draft needs? And where would you expect some of those late round picks to be invested positionally? Yeah, so I equate a lot of what they have done. You know, I always use this example when I write my articles and when I talk about it on my show. It's almost like, you know, they brought in these veterans, corporate trainers, I call them. You know, they're veterans who have played the game before. You know, you look at the offensive line, for example, John Feliciano was with Brian Dable up in Buffalo, so he knows that system. You know, they they brought in other guys that have connections to Buffalo uh, who know Dable's system. And, you know, obviously Mike Kafka's, is there he's coming over from Kansas City so the two teams kind of you know I think marry each other a little bit so 
you're going to see a little bit of Kansas City's offense mixed in. So these are the guys who are the trainers, so to speak. So I can see the Giants bringing in a bunch of new guys to learn all this stuff. So, for example, you ask about, you know, mid-round, late-round and stuff like that. Center, you know, any offensive lineman, I think they need to really restock that offensive line. They don't have a whole lot in terms of young guys that they can develop. Um, you probably want to bring in, you know, a young running back because you don't know if you're going to have Saquon and Matt Breida next year. You might want a developmental quarterback. Doesn't mean that, you know, Daniel Jones is done or, you know, that's the death kiss for him. But just have somebody who can learn the system in case you want to move on from, say, Davis Webb. Um, on defense, you probably want to bring in a young linebacker, maybe add a, a young defensive tackle, a nose tackle or a guy who can play the zero tech, the one tech, and maybe even that three tech spot. So, you know, you want to get reinforcements, I think, across the board, but those are some of the positions. And then I and then I forgot to mention tight end. Tight end is a position they're completely redoing. So they'll probably want a young guy who can, I don't know, maybe be a move H-back type since they already have a blocker in Ricky Seals-Jones. So um, we'll see if that's what they do. But, you know, th there's a lot of different ways they can go. And I think it's going to be a value type of deal. You know, best available. They always say best available. But in this case, I think you're going to see best available match up with a lot of the Giants' needs. Yeah, right. And we've been talking about draft week, and it's been a bunch of months leading up to this. But some of the players currently on the Giants roster, there have been rumors swirling throughout the entire offseason. Saquon Barkley, obviously one of those players. James Bradbury, another. But one more recent example of this is Kadarius Tony, the second year now wide receiver and there have been some rumblings about his potential availability Patricia, would you be shocked at all if the Giants were to move off of Tony just one year into his rookie contract just his rookie season no I mean we saw it with the Cardinals a few years ago when they moved off of Josh Rosen for Kyler Murray and I know it's a different position but look what here's what happens I mean it, and this isn't unique to any one team a new regime comes in they don't have any quote-unquote loyalty or anything invested emotionally or you know, reputation-wise on the old regime's picks. So um, they might be a little less tolerant, you know, to, to put up with stuff. You know, Brian Dable, the head coach, Joe Shane, the GM, they came in here and they said, look, everybody's got a clean slate. What you do with that slate is up to you. With Kadarius Tony, who, as we all know, had a rocky rookie season, had some maturity issues. The thing with him is, unless he's got something you know, that's just beyond his control. Like, for example, a sick family member, who knows, maybe he's got a baby on the way. I don't know what he's got going on. So I don't want to say that that he's he's bad, but right now the optics don't look very good. All right. And the fact that there's these rumblings um, from his teammates, you know, you've got Kenny Galladay standing there saying, oh, you know, me and Shep, meaning Sterling Shepard are going to, you know, help this kid get, get up to speed. Well, that's not their job. They've got to learn the playbook themselves. So, you know, I, I just, it's not a good look for Tony, but if he's got a legitimate reason, you know, something that can't be avoided, somebody, you know, somebody sick or whatever the case, case may be, then I think people might be a little bit more forgiving. But, you know, just based on what's been swirling around, the fact that he is considered now a movable piece after Shane at the Combine said he's probably not a movable piece, leads me to believe that whatever the reason is, it's not of that nature, you know, that can't avoid it, got to tend to personal business type of deal. Right. And following up, I talked about package for that number seventh overall pick. 
What do you think would be a package where you would be okay with moving off of Tony? Is it a mid to late round selection based off mm. of the off field concerns you've talked about? What would be the package for you for Kadarius Tony? Well, I don't think you're going to get a first round pick in return because, you know, you never, it, it's draft picks. Sometimes it's like, you know, when you drive a car off the lot, you never, and, and you go and you sell the car, you never get the same value that you paid for it. It depreciates. And I think it's the same thing with draft picks. Um, I would think with Tony, you know, look, the kid's talented. Let's not deny it. The kid's got a lot of talent. You know, if he ever, if he ever gets, you know, addresses the maturity issues and stuff that kind of cut into his game, he's going to be something else. But um, I would think maybe in a best case scenario for a second round pick, I don't know that they will get something that high. Would you settle for a third round pick? Possibly. I mean, look, if you're getting more picks in the top 50 picks of the draft, I'd be fine with that. So any team that made me an offer, if I saw that that pick was in the top 50, I might go for it. You know, I might not sit there and stand on principle and say, well, I got to have a number one or I got to have a number two. I want something in the top 50. All right. And um, if I get any, you know, the higher the pick, the better. Um, but listen, Joe Shane has shown great resolve. We, we've seen it with James Bradbury. He's not willing to give the guy away for a song and a dance. And I don't think he would do that with, with Kadarius Tony. I think he would want to get the, the best value possible. And if he doesn't get it, then no deal. Right. You don't want to sell low because of the talent. And especially in this draft where it is such a deep class, if you can get a pick in the top 50, or even if it's a little less than that, I still think the Giants could get plenty of value for a player like Tony, who you mentioned is still extremely talented and he should not be undersold. And we'll see how the Giants end up playing this situation with him. And if they do end up trading him, what the package they will get is. But Patricia, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for hopping on here. Draft week, we're here. And soon enough, we'll know who the Giants take with that number five and number seven overall selection. A big thanks to Patricia for talking about all of that. It's kind of great insight and nuggets there about the Giants and just what they could do with those two picks. A bit on Kadarius Tony as well as the Giants look to retool in the post-Dave Gettleman era. But that's all I have for you today here on Locked on NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back here tomorrow with more Locked on NFL with your Tuesday host, so be sure to stay tuned for that, and we will see you here tomorrow.